0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Here For It podcast and I am Paige. Welcome to the show. Um today we have child protective investigator Mercedes Clark with us. Mercedes, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Paige, for having
0: me. Of course. So really, I mean, you know, this podcast is kind of about mental health awareness in the community, and I know that there are a lot of people that deal with mental health and children, you know, if someone is diagnosed with something and then they have a kid you know that's kind of hard they don't really know how to be taking care of this child so I think that that's where DCF or CPI will kind of come into play am I am I on track with that
1: right right we do investigate a lot of things that regard mental and regarding mental health so I can give you a lot of insight on that
0: awesome okay so how long have you been uh with the Pasco Sheriff's Office
1: I've been with the Pasco Sheriff's Office for the last three years now in the CPI role. Um, CPI is Child Protective Investigator. I have worked in case management previously, um, real briefly, in dependency case management, which is where a case goes to after a CPI investigates and a child needs to be removed. But I've been a CPI for the last three years with the same Sheriff's Office.
0: Wow, so this is something that you have actually really been involved in for a while of your life. What kind of brought you into this?
1: Well, it's kind of odd. In high school, I always said that I wanted to help somehow and didn't know how to help. Uh, My aunt was a CPI before in Volusia County, which is Daytona Beach. And she used to tell me about it. Sometimes I would go over to my aunt's house and she would be like um, working on a case or something. And then she would not disclose like names, things like that, but she would just tell me a little background. So I just always thought it was so interesting because I had a... um, Weird craving for like investigative work but I was trying to figure out how do I investigate and help people Mm, so I started doing a little bit of research figured out a CPI might be a pretty good role for me which is how I ended up in the case management at first but um, when I ended up in case management I realized that investigating was better for me than case management because case management was more just like giving people tasks and telling them things to do in the CPI role I had to get to Get involved with the family firsthand when incidents occur and able to investigate so it felt like since high school that's what I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to finish school first, and after I got out of college, the first place I went was to apply for the sheriff's office and get into there
0: and became a CPI. Yeah, so you kind of combined, like, both of your passions that you liked. You knew that you wanted to kind of Mm -hmm. do investigative work, like, Mm -hmm. were you watching all of those shows, like, (laughs) Cold Case and all of that stuff?
1: Definitely, definitely. I definitely got addicted to, like, First 48 and... (laughs) how to get away with murder and things like yeah. that. But I was like, how, how can I help? You had and
0: something <laughs> in you that wants to help people. Right. Yeah. So what, what kind of training went into this? Did you need any kind of background when you were applying for this job, or what did they kind of look for?
1: Um, Definitely so. Um, the biggest requirement for CPI or case management dependency, you do have to have a bachelor's degree. It doesn't necessarily have to be in social work, but it does have to be in a social um skill related feel and even I've even seen people with um business degrees that became CPIs so they're kind of lenient just depends but you do have to have a bachelor's at minimum and then after you meet those requirements you don't have to have any background having worked with children or families before they um, kind of give you an opportunity as, long as you have that degree but you do have to go through a four-month training class and that four-month training class um you get to know the ins and out of CPI and case management because case management and CPI are pretty much the same things up until the end, which is the is the investigative portion. So case managers and CPIs go through the same training class for four months, but the test at the end it just has a few different investigative questions to it. So um, it's either with my agency, the sheriff's office has we have our own sheriff's office training unit. Um, With the Department of Children and Families, they have outside training units. You have to go to different entities to get the training. But it's a four-month training, and after the four-month training has went by and you learned all the curriculum in regards to any abuse and neglect of children, then you have to take a state board test. Um, So we are certified by the state of Florida um, as child welfare investigators, what it says, by the state of Florida. So after you pass that test, then... You can become a CPI, and then after you become a CPI, they have you on, um, they call it a protective count, so you just don't get, after you pass a you don't just get thrown to the wolves. Mm-hmm. You can't just start with cases and be investigating cases right away. You get to shadow. So for two weeks, nonstop, by um, this week, you're shadowing somebody. One um, of the senior investigators, you shadow them for two weeks, kind of get a feel for what's going on the day-to-day. Get to learn some more things out in the in the real world, and then after your two weeks has come, then they give you um, another protective count, and um, starting off it's one case a week. So you get one case. The senior investigator that you were with, they go out with you to the field. Um, the field is what we call like going out to a house. Uh-huh. Um, go out to the field, and that if senior investigator goes with you, but they kind of let you take the lead. Okay. Uh, answering questions and any time that you if you may miss something they may chime in. So and then after that then each week it just steadily grows. Like the first week it's just one case and then the next week, um, you may get an OTI. Now an OTI is an out of county request. So because we don't count across any county lines for instance, I work in Pasco and we're currently in Hillsboro. Hillsboro called me about a child that's in Pasco. They send the request via um our FISFIN website, which is our Florida board website that we all use as child welfare investigators and once they send a request over I complete the request in PASCO so after that second week you complete OTIs and then the next week you start getting a little bit more cases and then after five weeks of being on a protective count then you're on your own but you have a mentor that same senior um, investigator that you would originally becomes like your mentor and anytime you need like any assistance or any help and obviously you know you have the help of your supervisor and any other coworkers but there is a protective count right after the training program is done which is, which is helpful because you know sometimes you know you get a little nervous you're not too sure what's going to happen and how right. it's going to be because you know Anytime you go to a case, you you don't know what to expect. It's not like a book, and you just know what's going to happen. You just just never know what's going to happen out there. So you have the support.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. You would definitely need that. And especially if you're going through all this training, you wouldn't want to be just thrown out to the wolves. You would want to at least watch how someone handles something and then have them watch you and then still have that person behind you if you do have questions like that. So you've been going back and forth between saying DCF and CPI. So I think that a lot of people, they get that confused. DCF, CPI, CPS. Everybody is just throw. they kind of put it into one kind of category. So what is the differences between those three acronyms?
1: Okay, so um, with a CPI is a child protective investigator,
0: which that's what you are. Correct. Right.
1: So whether you work for the sheriff's office or you actually work for DCF, we're all child protective investigators. But the difference is it's just who you're you're working for. We all follow certain guidelines, but through the sheriff's office, the sheriff makes a lot of the guidelines, and we kind of shadow some of the things that DCF are doing as far as rules and regulations, because the state does come up with different rules and regulations as far as timeframes. We have a lot of different timeframes. We have to meet, like, um, how fast a kid needs to be seen, because kids have to be seen within 24 hours or four hours when a case does come in. Our... And then we have time frames for when we have to see like what we call alleged perpetrator, which is kind of what you would call a suspect, the person who may have caused the abuse or neglect. We have to see them within certain time frames. So we all follow the same certain time frames, but we all work for different agencies. Um, DCF, more so, um, they deal with abuse and neglect of children, too. But they also have different things that they can do as far as, like, housing and food stamps and things like that. So they do it a little bit um, differently. But in the state of Florida, there are six agencies that work for the sheriff's office, and Pasco is one of them. Um, it's Pasco County Sheriff's Office, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, Seminole County Sheriff's Office, Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, and I believe the other one is um Washington county sheriff's Office that has a sheriff's office that runs the the whole agency for everyone, and then also d c f has the ability to have case managers in sheriff's office we do not have case managers, so they have a little bit more wiggle room as far as different types of employees in regarding child welfare, but our only child welfare entity through a sheriff's office is a child protective investigator
0: okay okay. Yeah, because I feel like definitely a lot of people put all that together. So DCF is Department of Children and Families, as you said, previously before. So cases. So you're talking about abuse and neglect. So what causes the? So what? What classifies as being abused or neglected?
1: Um, it just it varies. It it can vary. Um. As far as neglect, um, some we have mal we have maltreatment codes. So some of our maltreatments to consider for neglect would be inadequate supervision, which is you know a kid not being supervised, either being left alone, and if and if they're not at the age that we feel is appropriate, because with the state of Florida, there is no legal age for your child to be left in a home, mm-hmm. but it depends on their mental capability, their developmental capability. you just common sense. Okay. For leaving your child in the house we have.
0: So sometimes cases some kids can be 14 Mm -hmm. and some kids could be left alone but sometimes if they don't have the mental capability and they're left alone at 14 that could be neglect.
1: Correct and then a report could get called in for inadequate supervision. So we have um inadequate supervision environmental hazards what we Mm. consider environmental hazards is um pretty much a dirty house. Mm. So um but you know are dirty and everyone else is dirty yeah I was gonna say what kind of dirty is dirty <laughs> so, so what we consider environmental hazards is kind of like a hoarding situation okay if can you walk through the home is the home accessible are the utilities working in the home are is the the mess in the home stopping the kids from functioning so i say we got a Sixteen-year-old and you got clothes on the floor and things like that. That wouldn't be considered environmental hazards. The case may be accepted, but once we get there, we can't consider it environmental hazards because your child is not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And typically, we consider kids under the age of six vulnerable. But also, like I say with the other ages, it just depends on your developmental um, ability and everything as far as considering when you're vulnerable. But if you had a kid that's one and you got animals, you got animal feces everywhere, okay. um, you got cords and things hanging the roof, caving in, it, oh, mold. Right. That that is a true environmental hazard um, condition, and then also your child is vulnerable, she can, he or she cannot fend for themselves. So if something a, were to happen. Right, so that's something we would consider to be an environmental hazard. So we do investigate those, and also we consider environmental hazards um, any drug houses. So if there's um, drug sales at the house, any drug paraphernalia around houses, we consider those environmental hazards, and those are considered um, neglect cases. And we also um, we have cases of what we call household violence threatens child. Pretty much, um, whether it's the parents or the spouses or whoever's arguing or fighting, or even if you have roommates, if your Mm -hmm. mom or dad is arguing with the roommate, fighting with the roommate we do consider that um, to be household violence threatens child. So that's a form of neglect, because even though that child is not in that situation, that child is still around that situation. They're hearing
0: it, it, they're seeing it, they're learning from it, picking up from it. So that would be neglect.
1: Right, we consider that neglect. Um, We have medical neglect cases um, sometimes. Those are a little bit different, and they vary. um, It's more so kids that have complex Issues that really can't fend for themselves, um, parents not picking up medications, parents not giving the medications appropriately, or kids um, not going to follow up. Uh, doctor's appointments that are vital, say a kid was seen at a hospital, and 9 times out of 10, the follow-up says to be seen at a pediatrician. Okay. So if the parent neglects to take that child to the pediatrician, we likely will get a call for neglect because the follow-up was not done because if the doctor felt like they needed to follow up, the parents should follow up with that. So we do get some cases like that. Um, sometimes I'm like saying more some kids with some very complex issues, and the parents just do not know how to handle kids with uh, that are medically complex, mm-hmm. and then we have to end up taking so, matters into our own hands. So,
0: what would be an example of medically com- complex? Like what, like what kind of illness would that be? Uh,
1: it just it, could it be it like
0: is, a like a like a the kid um got the flu and he's been seen like a million times and the doctor um, isn't seeing him again
1: no um some of the, it's, it's like different diseases i'm trying to think of some of the different diseases i know i've had a, a kid that couldn't walk anymore um i couldn't think of the name of the disease he was able to walk when he was first born and around middle school there was like a genetic disease that, okay. that got to him um so he wasn't able to walk anymore mom was not following up with him needing to see um, the pediatrician and the, the doctors that would help as far as, like, getting him some fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. He was referred to a hospital in Orlando. The mom wasn't following up with him getting all of the therapy and things that he needed to possibly get his functioning back. Mm-hmm. So she was neglecting to do that, which is, was hindering him. But then she was also applying for SSI, for the kid, but she's not following up with these tasks. So she's neglecting to do these things, but trying to receive a benefit.
0: Yeah, um, so is them. that how she kind of got caught? Like who called on her? Can a doctor call on her yes. saying like, hey, where's this kid? I need to be seen. Yes, uh,
1: um, a doctor will call, especially like, um, for instance, the Children's Hospital, John Hopkins yeah. um, in St. Pete, they call quite a lot because you know, they're dealing with children that have the most complex issue oh of
0: course yeah so
1: they know what this child needs and like I say sometimes we don't if you didn't experience something yourself you don't know necessarily you may think you know what your child needs Mm -hmm. but there's also other things that may help your child benefit and grow and so when those things are neglected yes doctors will call um and let us know and we also have um we call our CPT which is our medical team so we have a licensed pediatrician that has his own private practice, but also is our medical doctor. So sometimes the doctor's offices will call him specifically because he knows that he works through us and kind of advise them of things going on. And our doctor will call us and let us know, hey, is there an open case on these oh. people already? Or if not, hey, I'm going to call one in to kind of see what's going on and get this kid seen because we think there's some there's some issue. right?
0: Okay, so those are, those are big types of neglect that I'm sure that people don't even really realize. Like I've, I, I mean, I would think about the one, like, the dirty house and, like, um, cords and things happening that the kids can trip on, but I never really thought about, like, having a kid that the parent just wasn't getting their medication. Mm-hmm. And could that be just because the parent doesn't think about it, or they, you know, like, what, what, so if that is happening, what does that parent have going on?
1: Um, it's just, it varies. Sometimes the parent has too many kids. And uh, especially when the kids are very medically complex, it's them having to either quit their job Mm -hmm. or find somebody to help. And a lot of these parents are single parents. So if I got to keep traveling with my child to go over here, but I have another child over here, how can I afford to live? And then even with sometimes, you know, with the SSI check, it's not much. So it's very hard to take care of a medically complex child when it's just you. Okay. And you have other kids because they can't afford to live. So it's nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, they got to go to work could get the kid to the appointment, because these appointments, I've seen some kids have appointments like four times a week, mm-hmm. and different therapies they have to go through, especially autistic kids, so that mm-hmm. happens a lot, too. Um, the parents they're glutton to take the kids to the occupational therapy, the speech therapy, and things like that, and these kids need these things right. to keep functioning, and the parents like, okay, if I missed one, that's okay, maybe two, or they kind of try to figure things out on their own. Okay. What can I do to help my kid at home, but it doesn't always work
0: yeah because from hearing this you know like i'm sure that some of the listeners are even thinking like how could the parent do that to the kid i mean the kid needs help but then when you kind of phrase it like that it's like maybe the parent doesn't know any better. maybe the parent just thinks that it will be okay so that kind of i'm sure that you have to kind of take the big picture into consideration and not just be so against the parent when you're going into it
1: yeah definitely definitely we look at the situation um How honest the parent is. Um, We try to meet the parents where they're at and get a little bit of understanding of why are you doing this? How come you haven't been going to appointments and things? And I even had some parents tell me, well, they don't feel like anything is wrong with their child. I've had that happen a lot. Okay. So. And I have to kind of under um, explain to them, you may not feel like anything is wrong, but there are some presenting issues, and let's just try to address that so that way we can get on a better foot and get an understanding of what's really going on. They do have the, the ability to say things they do or do not want to happen to their child as far as medical things, mm-hmm. but some things are vital that have to happen, which will cause for neglect and possibly the child to be removed. But if it's one, like, for instance, kids with, you know, ADHD, they don't have to have the medication, and that's an option for parents to do. Right. But if 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 they are medically needy for this medication, we cannot bypass that and say that it's okay for their child to not have this medication if it's what keeps this child functioning. Right. So, some parents, like I said, it just just varies. The situation varies. Some parents um, are willing to listen. Some other, you know, they're not but we have to do what's best for the child yeah
0: and I'm sure that some I mean what is it like like walking into those houses because I'm sure that some parents they're like oh great like CPI is coming or whatever like they got did I would imagine they get defensive or how, what is that like
1: um it, it depends I've, I've definitely dealt with my my handful of defensive parents but some parents um like I said I meet the parents where they're kind of just give them an understanding I'm not not here to bombard your life, right. to make your life worse. I'm here to understand what's going on and how can I help you.
0: Okay,
1: it's pretty much um, how I take the approach. Even some parents are still defensive because they feel like, Well, how can you tell me what my child needs and everything like that? Yeah. But at the same time, um, I talk to parents to see what it is that they know about their child's disorder or disease. Mm-hmm. So we try to educate them and help them understand which some levels out parents um some and then sometimes parents wonder like what qualifications we have to do that so what I'll do is refer them to our doctor and we'll set up um like i say like the CPT appointment which is our medical staff we set up an appointment with our CPT staff and our um specialists will sit with the parent go through the disorder or go through the disease and kind of like go over history and things and things that could possibly happen and that usually helps out as far right. as the parent and makes them want to do the follow-up or do the things because these are people or professionals that actually know and they're breaking everything down so i've had that happen quite a bit when we had to refer the family there and the specialist was able to talk to them see the parents knowledge and everything as a lot of parents you know research things as far as like google and things that which some things are helpful but at the same time there's some things that google can't help you
0: find right or maybe they yeah. just don't understand reading it like they need to be you know psychoeducated about what is going on with their kid and how to work with that so that is all kind of surrounding neglect so abuse so what kind of calls what classifies as abuse so you know a kid his teacher sees a bruise on his leg can a teacher call cpi right away what kind of what what kind of steps do they need to go through do they have to talk to the kid first because it could maybe sometimes be innocent. The kid literally just fell. I mean, kids are kids, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So that that is where, honestly, where one of our bigger issues comes in as far as, like, with the schools and the teachers and the principals and all the staff. So for us, um, we consider abuse um, to be any, we call it a physical injury, which is just, like, any bruises or marks to a child, inflicted, um, sexual abuse, um, any rape or molestation um, to a child. So with those two with the abuse, it just, it varies. Yes, teachers can call in reports, mm-hmm. but um, kind of what sometimes tends to happen is when a teacher calls in a report, they, they don't ask much information. Mm-hmm. And it's not the teacher's job to investigate the entire thing, but as you previously stated, there are some times where things are accidental. Mm-hmm. And, and the teacher has this report with this child knows this child for a long period of time and me coming in as an investigator I'm just literally meeting this child only can read the child's history if they've had history before in our system so it's a little bit harder so a lot of teachers kind of brush it off and throw it to us hoping for us to figure it out instead of asking because I could say about 90% of my um, physical injury cases and sexual abuse cases have been unfounded Because it was a misunderstanding. There was, there's incidents. um, I had one recently where a teacher said the kid got shot by a BB gun. Okay. um, On his leg. But she never looked at his leg. Okay. She, the kid was talking about um, BB guns and stuff and she put two and two together and said, okay, well he got shot by a BB gun. And she called in a report. Okay. I had to investigate the report. It did not happen. Uh It never happened. So
0: how did you know that it did not happen? How do you get to even that Um, step?
1: Just talking to the kid.
0: Okay, and he's honest and he's kind of...
1: Yeah, because we, um, what we do before we interview any children, especially children under 10, we have um, what we call is truth, lie, qualifying them. So we have a professional standard handbook that details um, truth, lie, qualifying. So we ask a series of questions, kid-related, see if they kind of know the difference between the truth and the lie. Wow. And we make sure um, the kids understand what the difference between the truth and a lie is. and
0: So what would some of those questions be?
1: Um, pretty much, it's like a, it's a handbook. It has a picture of a pig or a football. Uh-huh. And I kind of ask the kid, uh, I call the pig a football, even though I'm not trying football, and I ask the kid, would I be telling the truth or a life? I just call this pig a football? And they kind of tell me in their own words, um, whether I'm telling the truth or not. And if, when kids don't understand, um, I also, I like to use colors a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ask the kids, depend, usually I wear black pants, so I ask the kids, that, um, are my are my pants yellow today and they'll tell me no they're not yellow they're black okay so then and I'm like well so what does it mean but if I told you that my pants were yellow did I tell the truth or a lie and then they'll tell me and then you know like you said well it's bad to tell a lie so we try to make sure they understand that it's um bad to tell a lie and it's good to tell the truth and then possibly the consequences and things like that okay okay so so that
0: gets them like to figure out the difference between truth or or a lie right Right. Okay.
1: So we want to make sure that they kind of know the difference between the truth and a lie, and then also um, it's big and vital that I make sure the kid know that they're not in trouble mm-hmm. when they tell me the, tr- the truth about something. That they're not in trouble. I'm not here because you're in trouble. I'm here to make sure you're safe. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest thing that I tell kids. When I start talking to them, I'm here to make sure you are safe.
0: Yeah, it seems like a central theme because you even kind of have to calm the parents down with that. Like, here, like, we're here to help you. We're not here to ambush you. We're not here to take your kids away. I mean, because I know that some people, like, that word just comes up and they're like, I don't want my kids getting taken away from me. Right. You know, like, that is their biggest fear. So they must see you and be like, oh my gosh, like, I had my kids. I don't, you know, I want to, like, help them. Right,
1: right, definitely. And that comes up more, too, because, like, with me working for the sheriff's office, um, I do drive a sheriff's office vehicle. Okay. I do have, the sheriff's office emblem on my shirt the same badge that the the Mm -hmm. deputies wear so a lot of times when I show up to somebody's house Somebody thinks somebody's
0: going to jail. Right. Oh, yeah. So of I definitely
1: have to explain which part of the sheriff's office I'm from right. to help people understand, unless they're already familiar with us. So that does scare people. More. Oh, yeah.
0: I'm driving next to the sheriff's car or even a police car. I'm like, is my seatbelt on? Am I driving like the speed limit? You know, like that is kind of like an intimidation factor. So I think that it is important, like you said, to kind of calm them down and mm-hmm. let them know that you are here to help and make sure that everybody's safe. And even mm-hmm. I'm sure sometimes maybe the parents are not really safer and maybe the parents aren't really doing well. Right. So maybe Maybe they need that help. Um, I know that you said something about, like, violence in the family. Like, I'm sure that you have some DV cases where they get called.
1: Yes, we um, do get quite a bit of domestic violence cases. Um, Those are so tricky um, because sometimes, you know, the moms or even dads, you know, dads can be abused too. They don't necessarily tell all the history. Right. So um, with DV cases, it just depends because it depends on... The age of the child, the severity of it, what did the kids see? Was the kid actually involved in the situation? Did the kid try to stop the situation oh, yeah. Um, from occurring? So those, it just, it really varies. And if there's a history and a pattern for the same sort of cases, then we do seek action. If there's something very, very um, extensive that happens, like a big, huge fight, somebody's really hurt in the beginning, we take um, immediate action. But there are some DV cases that... We don't take action right away. For instance, um, mom and dad were yelling, and the mom pushed the dad, mm-hmm. and that was the end of it. We, uh, depending on the age of the child and how severe the push was, we don't always take, like, action on those cases because we don't feel like there was any threat or harm. Um, to any kids because somebody got pushed or even sometimes just because somebody got arrested because um, anybody can get arrested for a battery right. for any I want to touch. If I flicked you, yeah. I can go to jail. Yeah. If I toss something, if a piece of paper hit you, I threw, yeah. I can go to jail. So we don't necessarily ready to take people's kids or implement all these services because somebody went to jail. We have to figure out what happened in that situation why did it happen? Where were the kids? Because we do have a lot of reports that get called in because the kids, uh, when the kids weren't there. But these cases get called in because nine times out of ten, the officer who arrested the person does not know the family's history. And they're just, just for a precaution, they called us just to make sure that this has not been something ongoing and undetected. Okay. So we do investigate a lot of things like that just to, to see if something's been on and gone and just not detected, because I actually um, recently had a case like that. Um, DV had been going on for about three years, but it wasn't investigated. Sometimes the mom would call the police, but when they would get there, she would just say they were yelling. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever went to jail up until recently, and we realized there was a big, big pattern um, of DV. But uh, unfortunately, the mom got arrested this time because she finally hit back.
0: Okay. So,
1: and and when she she was so upset that she finally told the truth about what had really been going on, and if it wasn't for the officer calling us, we would have never known this was an ongoing issue. So with that family, the child wasn't removed, but we are implementing case management services as far as domestic violence services, which provides them with counseling. We get um, batteries intervention in the road. And um, family counseling as well, and then some mental health assessments for both parents, just to make sure that the kids are safe. Cause that child and that home was one years old.
0: Oh wow, okay. So who call- who called on that one?
1: Um, the officer.
0: Okay. Yeah, okay. just
1: because he wasn't too sure, they weren't really from around here. That was another thing. Because um, before I got on the case, I do check calls to a house. But as you know, um, dealing with the families that we're dealing with, they're not always in the same spot. Right. So you may, I may check the call history today for this address, but just a few days ago you were somewhere else. So I can't necessarily track all these addresses you've been to to see if there's been calls to your home. Because there there possibly could have been many calls to your home, but I would never know and talk kind to get history. So that's why I try to meet the parents where they're at and get down to their level just to see if they'll tell me some things and try to see what's really been going on Okay. in this home. So
0: you said it, um, the population that you're dealing with. So what is so what does that mean? These clients are moving around from house to house, or why are they not always in the same area?
1: Um, most of the, um, the clients that we deal with are um, low on the social economic status so they're very low income section aid um, project housing HUD housing um, I definitely have dealt with a lot of families that there's multiple generations of families in one house
0: mm-hmm.
1: but no one can still maintain the bills I had a, a family there was like ten of them the 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 brother the the brother and his kids the sister and her kids the the grandmother uh, and the great grandmother like all in one house mm-hmm but the lights were
0: off. Okay. Like cuz they two. couldn't pay the bills. Correct.
1: So, it's I've dealt with a lot of situations like that. So, that's when they move from place to place because they're dependent on one person's income, people are not really working, people can't find childcare for the kids, so then they can't work. So, it just it, it varies so they end up moving around a lot. Um, it sounds like a huge
0: snowball of situations like that cuz even going back to what you were saying like not being able to take the kids to the doctor's appointment, so say that these clients are living in a house with a bunch of people. They don't have income because they're you know living with a bunch of people in a house they can't pay the bills how do they have the money to take their kids in a car to the doctor so now they're hit with possibly a neglect charge because they're not taking the son that can't walk you know so that seems i mean to me that sounds like really frustrating for there's so many different areas and aspects that these families are just getting like they're not getting the they are getting the short end of the stick it seems.
1: Well, it definitely it varies from family to family. There are some families that are truly trying their hardest to provide for their kids and do what they have to do for their kids. They let the social workers at the schools know so that way they can help them. Cuz the social workers at the schools provide like clothing and food. Yeah. I know um um the county I work in, there are some schools that have I'm not sure if they call it like a, a weekend package, but every Friday they send the kids home with food. Oh wow. They're booked wow. back, canned goods and snacks and different things every Friday. It's and this is program. because
0: the parents have, like, told them and asked about it? Yes, okay. and they
1: can kind of tell um, the environments that the kids are in if they're not eating okay. often. So they kind of sign them up for a program, and every Friday they go home with food and snacks in their bag to make it through the weekend. Because oh, yeah. the only time some of these kids are eating is when they're at school. Right. So the school makes sure they eat when they're not at school. So that does happen. Like I so said, there are situations where we're very understanding and parents are doing their best. But then there are also situations where parents are just doing absolutely nothing. They're focused on their their own things and mm-hmm. um, things like that. That just draw me back to something, which I forgot to tell you earlier. Oh, yeah. Another um, case of neglect is um, drug and alcohol abuse. Okay, okay. So sometimes parents are off doing drugs or alcohol, spending the money on things like that. That they're not caring for these kids, and that's when we get involved too to see, hey, why are the lights off today? But you paid for this. Why like why didn't the rent get paid? And mm-hmm. different things not getting paid. Why didn't your kid go to school today? Mm-hmm. So we do um, follow with those things just to see. Like, it's just case by case, parent. By my parents, just the compliance of them. Our goal is never to take anyone's child. Mm-hmm. Our goal is always to help people when they want to help themselves. Yeah. So that's something big.
0: So can a child, say that a child is... What's so for my first question is how how old can you be in order to have a DCF case open with you and your parents like eighteen and then no you're...
1: um once you seventeen and below
0: okay mm-hmm. so say that you are fourteen and your parents are out drinking and drugging can you call DCF on them can you call DCF on like your own family situation
1: mm-hmm. um actually anyone can make a, a abuse and neglect report um even though it's it's not really told. Everyone's a mandated reporter. Right. Any um person, because you actually can go to jail if you knew something about abuse and neglect. Even if it's a regular citizen, you can Uh, go to jail. Have a mom arrested, okay, because she knew something about her child, and she went to jail for that for neglecting to
0: report. Okay. So anybody
1: can make abuse and neglect report. Um.
0: And she probably didn't even know that. What did she, what happened? She yeah. came out and said like, oh yeah, I knew that the whole time. I just didn't know what to do. And then.
1: Well, she, she admitted she knew what was going on. Uh, Cause her daughter was getting molested and she knew what was going on, but she said she addressed it, but this is something very serious and you keep letting your child go to the same place. Okay. okay. So she neglected. Um, and pretty much it's like a failure to report. Right. Um, it's a felony. Right. So anybody can report, like I said, even like you were saying, like well, the kid inside the house. I've had kids called the Florida Abuse Hotline.
0: Yeah, wow. And
1: on, on their own household. Yeah. But I think um, sometimes what gets a little hairy is, as far as, like, with discipline, kids don't know what is actually discipline or okay. what is actually neglect. Because, um, you know, in kids' minds, they're not always mature. And right. Things like so things that they consider abuse and neglect aren't abuse and neglect. But like, they could just be mad at their mom. Like, right. you left
0: me to go to the store. I to go with you. Mm-hmm. So now I'm mad.
1: Right, and that does happen because the thing about it is these kids are so smart that you can make a report online. You don't have to oh. give any of your information. You just have to type up the report as long as you know you, uh, you don't even have to know your address. So and what she, what does the, the
0: report kid, consist of? What do you have to write?
1: Honestly, I've had a report that says there's some random people in the Win Dixie parking lot, the mom's soliciting the kid. Oh wow. The, you
0: So you, what is so what does that mean? She's like having him out there like peddling for money? Yeah. Okay. Mhm.
1: So it just so that's ne- that's
0: abuse and neglect. If because I mean in have you see, yeah. So you life. see that all over. Right. The, you see that all over. But the, the place. thing
1: is, um, the only reason the report got accepted is because we needed to verify what was going on. Obviously, we drove to the parking lot, had no idea who it was. As long as we attempted, that's to all go we can do. Yeah. It, in a Winn parking lot, anybody could.
0: We don't know who right. we're talking about. Yeah. So
1: it does it does get a little tough when cases get called in with no names. No addresses, no phone numbers, no kids' names. Because so how do you I, know even what to do, where to go, your, your, your I, direction? I've knocked on um, many doors not knowing, and people are like, you don't know what you're here for. And it's it's kind of it's embarrassing, but I have to do it. Yeah. Because there are some, like I said, I've had a co she's not on like 50 apartment buildings um, before okay to find somebody never found a uh, family. because at the end of the day just in case a family may know somebody's coming they're not going to tell you oh right. yes i'm who you're you're looking for yeah um the only cases when they come in unknown like without names if they have an address those aren't so bad but it's the ones that come in with no names no addresses no nothing mm-hmm. and just maybe a description of a house right right maybe this happened and then the reporter won't leave their contact information.
0: Okay. So we've talked a lot about um, opening cases and abuse and neglect, kind of what that means, the difference between DCF, CPI. You know, we've kind of covered those bases. So once the cases are opened, we know how they are opened and who can call. What does it take to close these cases?
1: Okay. Um, yet again, it's case-by-case case, um, basis. Any of the cases... Where we feel like there is no findings, no evidence, as much as people wish we can close them the same day I walked out there, it's not so easy. Um, the unfortunate part about anytime a case is accepted by the Florida Abuse Hotline, I have to fully investigate it, and me fully investigating it takes 60 days. Okay, so uh, once the case is open, ah. I have to. Even I've already spoke to mom and figured out everything happened. I got to speak to all your children. I have to speak to every person in that household. I got to speak to the person that's being accused of doing something. And then I have to get um, collaterals, which will be considered like family, friends, um, neighbors, daycares, pediatricians, teachers, really anybody that knows the family and actually can provide proof that, hey, yeah, this is really not what's going on. And this or maybe this is going on and you didn't know this part. So somebody that can provide insight on the family. And that has to happen literally with every case, no matter if it's not one finding or not. So that is something that's very big and takes a lot of our time and holds us up because we all wish that we could open and close the case, especially when I get out there and I'm just like, um, they like say it's for a dirty house and then I'm going to a million dollar mansion. Mm-hmm. And it's like we we know these things aren't true, but
0: once it's accepted it's accepted it, it can't be rejected so even through that you get a call for a dirty house you go it's beautiful it's a million dollar mansion you still have to talk to all the kids that live there the mm-hmm. accused siblings or whatever yes. you have to contact all these people
1: yes you still have to go through the tedious process with each case
0: what if these people don't want to talk to you? What if the sister says, this is crazy, I'm not even dealing with this, like, goodbye?
1: Um, parents, um, we give it a rights and responsibilities pamphlet. They do have the right to refuse to talk to me. We um we kind of talk to them in a certain way where they, I don't want to say they feel obligated to talk to us, but they end up speaking. Okay. Um. So I don't, I give them rights and responsibilities pamphlet. It's their choice to read it, to know that they do have the right to not. Talk to me, they have the right to get an attorney, they have a right to do a lot of things, but I always try to help parents understand that if you talk to me, you give me these references, it'll be so much easier to get it done with, because the more resistant you are, then there may be instances where I have to escalate it, and it, the more resistant you are, depending on what situation like, for instance, if this case says um, the kid has a bruise, you want me to see your kids? That is non-negotiable. So, even though you have the right to not let me see your kids, I have the right to take you to court. Okay. So, anytime you refuse, um, and I've tried multiple times, because they try to give me a trial multiple times, say if you will change, even let me see the kids. I've had parents like, you're not talking to my kids, but I'll show you them through the window. I've had to accept that before.
0: Oh, wow. To show that they're
1: alive. Okay. But if it gets to the point where we are really concerned, which I've had that happen before, where mom was accused of beating her son, and she wouldn't let him get his, Um, medical examination to look at his body I took her to court okay um my court order was granted for me to have access to the kids to do that because if she would have refused the medical assessment she would have been to jail okay so it kind of I try not to get into that with parents so I try to help them understand hey if you just cooperate and I know you didn't do anything wrong we can get through this together Mm -hmm. but the more resistant you are the higher I have to escalate things and I don't want to take things to court but if I have to take it to court I have to make sure this kid is okay and like I said that does happen sometimes with the physical abuse cases and the sexual abuse cases like parents are really resistant or us talking to kids and things like that but we're here to help and figure out what's going on not to ruin your life yeah. so so yeah we can escalate things even
0: though like I say they have those right we can we can yeah. escalate them and trump them have you been in a situation where the kid is like totally like you walk in and they tell you everything or they they think that you're like kind of like a savior thing if they are seriously in that such in a bad situation um Yes,
1: not necessarily just started pouring things out. Um, I have a lot of kids that have um, confided in me, but I also have a lot of kids that accidentally say things. Um, they didn't mean to say certain things and didn't, some things discovered. Well, I have kids that say things that are just so innocent that they didn't realize it was um, abuse. Like, I've had that happen with a sexual abuse case. A little girl, she was just talking to me. Um, I was there for a physical abuse, not sexual abuse. I originally was there for physical abuse. She told me about a dad hitting her, which I could tell he hit her because she had a big mark on her head. And he was already gonna get arrested for that. Um, incident there. But when I was talking to her, she was just talking to me about um, her dad touching her. But she at first she described it in like a playful manner, but then she was saying like her dad was giving her doctor checkups. And when she was saying that, she was sitting there fine, innocent. But as she finally said that her dad touched her um, um, in her private area, I started to realize, like, this was some sexual abuse going on. And originally, like I said, I wasn't there for that. Um, and just talked to her a little bit further to realize he had been molesting her for a while. But she did not understand that or associate that with it being something that was wrong so i do have that happen a lot where kids are like well they're just my parent Uh, this is what parents do to kids right and i have to help the kids understand this is not what parents do to children yeah
0: because they they probably don't know any different or any better this is my parents this is what we do he's Mm -hmm. just giving me a checkup that's what that's what parents are supposed to do right so that is from a very innocent place yes so then you have to kind of so then what happens when that happens when you came in on a physical abuse case and it turns into a sexual abuse case um
1: well there was already a deputy there with me because when i have cases like that a deputy has to take the criminal report because i only can do the child protection report they have to come for their criminal report but when she disclosed that, I had to get a detective because deputies can um, write reports too, but when it's something um, that's such a big circumstance is going on, I have to get somebody above a deputy, which is a detective, because we need to be able to go to that person right away. Um, so To that, go to the abuser right away. Correct. So a detective, I had to call a detective and out. And find out where he is. Correct. So I called a detective out on that, and me and him... Um, it was about I started that case probably like four PM. I didn't go home at six AM. Wow. Um, I took the kids into care.
0: Um because You took the, the kids into care. So mm-hmm. what did that mean?
1: Um taking the kids into care is um which is the same thing as CPI and DCF, which is taking the kids into state care. Okay. They had to go into state care because um I think it's one of the stories I was telling you about earlier, the mom knew he had been molesting oh, her. Okay. So it wasn't So she wasn't even really
0: safe with the mom at that time. Correct.
1: Point. So after we had to figure out you're not safe with your dad and you have younger sisters, okay. the, girl, the other sisters are not safe with your dad either. Right. But then once we found out that mom, you too, you're not safe with either one of your parents. Mm-hmm. And now you have no parents, and you have no caregiver. So we were left no choice but to take the kids into state care because they had no parents, and both parents were going to jail because the, the dad for the sexual molestation and for the um, physical abuse, because like he had actually had kicked her in the head. Mm-hmm. So she had a big knot on her head. Um, and then the mom for failure to report went to jail um that same day so
0: so right now or i don't know how long ago this was but like so those parents are incarcerated the kids are in state care but what so what is what is state care state care like
1: um it it can vary um they that family's actually from haiti so they really didn't have many family members and things like that so state care is when the kids have to go to foster care Mm -hmm. and there was five of them so it's when the kids have to go to, to foster care Um, And really, depending on the age of the kid, they go to group homes. Usually kids mm, between, I would say 11 and up, end up going to group homes. Foster care, more of the the people that do foster care, they more so want younger kids to kind of be like a family. So the older kids, they don't always get the best picks. They usually go to group homes with
0: lots of kids. Even if they have a bunch of siblings, like siblings got separated?
1: Quite often, yeah, Yeah. especially if the kids are not in the same age ranges because usually, like I say, kids 10 and below do go to actual houses and homes with other people because usually in a home, usually um, they have like five or less kids and they only have certain age ranges and some houses only have certain genders. Mm -hmm. So if you got brothers and sisters and this house only takes girls and only takes girls of this age, it does happen quite a bit. We do try our best to contact families. Mm-hmm. Um, we call families from out of state and different things, but it's hard if the family isn't here because our court system doesn't allow us to send a kid to somebody out of state unless something um, called a ICPC is completed, which is an interstate compact order, and the judge has to approve that, and typically those can take six months to a year.
0: So during those six months to a year, the kid's still and in the foster, foster care kid. waiting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If the, if the grandparent, I've had a grandparent, um, she was in New York, she left her house, moved here, moved into the house here in Florida. Just so her grandkids would not go to foster care. Wow, wow. So I've I've seen that, but everybody doesn't have the ability
0: to, to do pick up that. and leave or to do that. Yeah. So then, if that's a case that you have, and so they're incarcerated, they're in foster care, wherever they may be. Now that case is closed for you, right?
1: Um, I have to transfer to the dependency case manager who follows the case long term, and then my case um, can be closed out. But it kind of depends also if I took the kids into stay care on day one of the case, day 45 of the case, or day 60 of the case. So if I took them on day one, my kids can't be closed right away. For 60 I, days,
0: right? You have to have it for those 60 right. days. So I
1: have to get still get more information because i may have only learned this one situation but i need to get more background information um on these kids so then i'm still calling pediatricians in schools to figure out has this been going on before because yes i know there's a imminent danger to the children right now and after i get the kids safe and figure all that out i still need to figure out what was surrounding all of this so i still have to investigate even though i've already put the kids somewhere and then after I get the information that I need, then I can give it to a case manager, a dependency case manager who does, they do work for DCF. Okay. Um, I give it to a dependency case manager and they they work on everything, but the case manager has to have so much information before I can pass it along. So that's what um, kind of holds up that process, too. Okay. I can't just hand it to him the minute I finish. Right. I have to kind of get some more information. I got to try to find relatives. I got to find, like I said, pediatrician information, school information. I don't know if this kid had, like, any behavior issues, medical issues. I have to find out some information because I can't just hand it to them blindly.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So with a case like this, is there any chance of reunification down the line? Does that um,
1: happen? For the dad, no.
0: Never. That um, can never happen.
1: Never for the girl he actually did molest. Okay. Um, pot- Potentially for the other kids, just depending on what tasks they have to complete by the judge um, with the case plan. For the mom, yes. But they're going to have her do um, non-offending classes. We have um, some classes and counseling things for non-offending parents. Mm-hmm. So they have to go through that and complete the case plan. But the case plan goes through a judge. The judge assigns what tasks he wants them to do. And so it's really the judge's ruling. It's out of our hands when mm-hmm. a case has to go to court. Mm-hmm. So once the judge decides what it is that he wants them to do, then and she completes her task, then yeah. Um, there's still, the dad is, wasn't able to have visitation. Mom was still able to have visitation, but only supervised okay. by the department, which is department, department of Children and Families or CPI um, is supervising those yeah. visitations. And we also have some family visitation centers where the uh, mom could go there and there's professionals there. Um, and But with this kid, their visitations were only allowed to be therapeutic. So a counselor had to sit in each session with the child.
0: Okay. So, yeah, because these stories are like, I mean, they pull on your heartstrings a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that you have to have really thick skin to be going into this and doing this. But then you say something like that, and it's like, okay, well, you're still making sure that these kids are safe. Like, the right. state is still kind of making sure that... If they're going to have visits someone else is there these kids are going to right. be protected and the judge is there to make sure that the dad is i mean complying but i'm sure that you have stories too when he passes checks all the boxes and mm-hmm. then can be like a repeat offender or something like yes. that
1: yes that definitely does happen sometimes you know um people they kind of I guess they change their papers according to the judge and then they come back uh a month or two later or a year later doing the same things so i definitely had that happen more so with my physical abuse cases i've had a mom was in the system probably 6 or 7 years and originally she never had the kids removed but case management was involved because we do have something called in-home non-judicial where it doesn't go through the courts but you're still required to work with case manager and she had did that a few times and then she even had got our case manager where it's um, in-home judicial but still your kids aren't removed but she kept doing the same thing the same thing to the point where the kids were removed they weren't in any super danger but there was concerning behaviors that she had because she kept beating them right but she wouldn't beat them excessively all the time but then it started escalating over the years like we knew there was an issue within the kids have behavior issues but it just got to the to the point where she was just being very excessive with yeah kids. so then that
0: brings you even back to like regarding mental health like what happened to that mom i mean because you're in the mm-hmm. mental health field like you know what's going on with that and how abuse can kind of trickle down sometimes do you mm-hmm. guys ever go into it because it sounds like most of your investigations are like and the kids but does anybody ever go into talking to the parents like what they've kind of been through
1: yes um once we interview parents as far as our allegations of what was um proposed against them then i started asking them about their background from childhood i asked them were they abusing and good as a child any um domestic violence history any drug or alcohol history and the good thing is we have access to um Police reports, criminal histories, and any prior department history. Because um, even I have, I can access reports from the 80s. Mm-hmm. So if wow. a, a parent didn't necessarily tell me something, but they were removed as a child or something happened to them as a child, I can still see it mm-hmm. and read it and kind of know why they possibly may be doing certain things so we do try to get that background information and that's another reason we talk to our collaterals especially like family members or friends um asking them questions like hey you have known her life why does she do this or what happened here and then oh yeah such and such happened and ever since that happened she's been angry and things like that so those things um those collaterals provide a lot of insight because there are some cases where You feel like nothing's going on at all and then you talk to a collateral and get some real
0: detailed information. It kind of all comes together at that point. Do you find that more times than not the parents have been abused or have been, you know, through some type of trauma?
1: Um, it, it varies. Not um a lot of parents have been through a lot of childhood trauma, but then there's sometimes a lot of domestic violence that um, makes the uh, parents do these things and start acting out on the children. It just it just varies, and I've had parents that nothing happened to them at all, and they just became the an angry person. And then more so, it's probably related to undiagnosed mental health, right? With right. them doing things like that. So,
0: so what? Like, talk to me a little bit about that undiagnosed mental health. Like, have you worked with any you know parents that are mentally unable to take care of their kids? Like any psychosis stuff like that that has brought, been brought to your attention?
1: Um, I have worked with a few um, parents as far as, like, as far as it goes, like, schizophrenia. I've worked with parents that are bipolar. A lot of them have anxiety and depression. But more so I've seen it um, either between the parents that are bipolar or schizophrenic that can care for the kids. But if they're in one of those manic states, things don't go um, the best. Because I've had that happen to um, a mom. Um, Sometimes she gets triggered, like the dad is the financial provider. She stays home with the kids, takes care of the kids. But every once in a while, um, they were trying to sit for her her trigger. She gets triggered, and when she gets triggered, everybody knows she's triggered because she starts reciting the Bible, no matter where she's at. So she's not causing any harm to anyone, but she's not in her right mind. She recites the Bible. Um, She walks up and down the road reciting the Bible, but she's not hurting anyone. She's not doing anyone. Doing anything to anyone, but she can't care for the kids because she's not providing them with the need food, clothing, water, because she's focused on that and that's all she does. She just recites the Bible, recites the Bible, but then usually she'll come, she'll come back from it. So that that was like a mild case. Like I said, she's not abusing or in them, but it's considered neglect because. She wasn't following up with her medication, mm-hmm. and she knows that this potentially could happen, so she needed to follow up with her Because we do have parents that are diagnosed bipolar, but as long as you're following up with your medication and you're receiving counseling, you're maintaining your mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's when you're, what we consider neglect, it's when you're not maintaining it, and you know there's a possibility for you to go off the deep end. Mm-hmm.
0: So Do some of these um, clients not even know that they're bipolar or schizophrenic, and you guys mm-hmm. kind of have to... You guys kind of see these uh, symptoms? Well, actually, you be surprised. Most of them knew.
1: Most of them would tell me, yeah, I'm diagnosed with this, but I'm fine, or things like that. Um, more so, um, it's more so concerning the schizophrenic um, parents. I've had one, she wasn't on any medication, she wasn't in counseling anymore. But luckily, there was a dad there that would be home every day after he got off work. And anytime she would go into a manic state, he would leave with the kids because okay. um, there would be times like with this mom, she was schizophrenic and she would say that she's a judge. She was Judge Dredd and she okay. would say this long number behind it every time she spoke. She would tell me she was the judge. She would put on the kids' clothing. Um, obviously, she couldn't fit any of the kids' clothing, so she would just do things that were off the, the wall. Any conversation she had, it was about being a judge. And then there were times where she would be calm and could have a normal conversation with you. But more often than not, she was going into these states, these mental states of just becoming this judge and didn't realize it, but she knew she was schizophrenic. But she was not following up. With the medication, with, right? And you, and you never know if she, because um, at one point, I think the last time the dad left, she had got aggressive with him. And that's the thing, you know, when they're in these states, you never know how aggressive they could get. If they're going to take it out on the kids. And that's why he would always leave. Because the fear that she would take it out on the children, so it's very concerning when parents don't follow with their mental health and the possibility of them becoming physical. Yeah, of course. Um, with one of the kids, or the parents, or whoever, you know, causing harm, but.
0: So that's okay for those kids to be in that house with the schizophrenic mother that isn't compliant because they have the dad that is right. there to take care of them.
1: Right, because what um how our cases work is you have to have at least one protective parent in a household. And he's trying his best and doing what he can, but after it happened so many times, we would f- really need him to fully separate and she could still visit the kids with him there, but he would need to not be in that environment. Around her until she got the help, and that's what he eventually did. He eventually just ended up leaving her for good, and she, um, I think she actually went into using drugs. So she didn't really get any better, but at least the kids were safe. Um, With it was nine times out of ten, usually the bipolar ones and the schizophrenic ones, they end up using like heavy drugs, Mm -hmm. Um, usually meth or heroin and things like that they get off the right like a coping mechanism or something
0: maybe Mm -hmm. they can't really deal with their own selves so they're you know self-medicating with other Mm -hmm. things like that i mean you see that a lot um wow well i honestly like you like i said before you have some thick skin for going (laughs) through this and you are doing amazing things for the community like this is amazing yeah for sure Mm -hmm. and thank you for you know educating us and educating the community on everything you know cpi dcf mental health-wide, um, I think it's really important for people to know because, like I said, no one really knows what is, oh, who can call or why can I call right. or, you know, kind of what brings these topics up.
1: Right, yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a, a tough feel, you know, but somebody has to, to do the job to help these kids because even though the majority of our cases are unfounded, there are those children that we're helping, and there's a lot of lives that we've saved. Saving, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. I know. Well, I'm so happy that your aunt inspired you and you had that little detective inside of you because you really are definitely making a difference. And, you know, within protecting children and protecting people's mental health, I think it's amazing. Thank
1: you for having me. Of course, Mercedes. Thank you.
0: Okay, you guys. So next week on Here For It, we will be talking about community homelessness. So stay tuned and we will see you next week. Goodbye.